0: We'll begin. I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, this is a great event and we're here for so many different reasons and one is of course to celebrate this amazing place and this, uh, this history of music that Macon has to offer. And These are just a few of the people and we're going to get everybody up as we can to, uh, to tell their stories and had a part in all of this and, and to sort of verbally document what's going on. Uh, that's an important thing we're doing tonight for the big house but then another really important thing is to honor this man and that is terry taylor who had an entire career of making sure that local bands got heard on wnex it, you could you could take a record to him and if if he thought it airworthy it was on the air and he did this time and time again and then there was a time when he did it for a group called the Almond brothers yeah and what Willie and that group, and then it just took off from there. The man in the, uh, the, the red parka down at the very front, that is Bobby Wallace from Capricorn Records, and he was <laughs> he was the man, he was our, our contact, and I remember when he first brought down three albums. He, he brought down a Johnny Jenkins album, the uh, Idlewild South album, and uh, what was the other one I'm forgetting? Uh, Wet Willie. Yeah, Wet Willie. And he had a note that he had attached to every disc jockey that read, Pick two songs from each album for a single. And everybody on Stab picked the same two songs from <laughs> Ottawa South, and that was Midnight Rider and Revival, and that was what they put on the single. I've got the single at home. <laughs> so, anyway, so we're going to open up uh, for either questions or comments. Does anybody here want to start off I, uh welcoming everybody just any stories what we're looking for tonight is just interesting stories of any as far as interaction with the public or or with things that happened while you were there I mean as you know the biggest the biggest fear I had was you'd be working one night and you'd hear a knock on the door and then the first thought in your mind is boy I wish I'd have brought some clean underwear <laughs>
1: that was your first thought <laughs> it still is <laughs> <laughs> well, we do too bill we, i'm no, glad I'll, I'm I'll, we got I'll you start here off some, I, some comedy here. Uh, i'm you. aaron bowers I, I i didn't have a whole lot of contact with the public because i was on from midnight to 6 a.m so there wasn't no public you know that, that that i had any access to but i had moved here from out of state i'd lived in new jersey uh, before this and i knew who the allman brothers were and uh my late wife had one of their albums, and I said, "Who, who is this?" And they said, "Oh, this is a local band. These guys are big time." I said, "Oh, yeah, really? Like big time? Oh, they're all over the country." I said, "Wow, that's really interesting." And it was not too long after I started at the Big X that uh, Dwayne died, and the phones just lit up. And, and I didn't answer the phones a whole lot at night because usually it was some guy under the influence, you know, that, or a girl wanted to hear some particular record, but. But uh, I got to read the uh, story of Duane's death on WLS in Chicago, because it was a Clear Channel station at that time. And uh, Clear Channel meaning it had no, it wasn't owned by Clear Channel. It was it, it had a frequency that wasn't interfered with, so you could still hear it here. And uh, so that was my big claim to fame, and it was my only contact with the Almond Brothers, except you know. uh, met Greg a couple of times, played bass <laughs> with him once, and that's, that's the extent of my story.
2: Well, I'm going to dovetail on that story, Aaron. Uh, I'm Greg Rice, and uh, I was uh, a student at Mercer and uh, started working part-time at WNEX in in uh, probably right, right after Labor Day of 1971, and uh, I was just doing some fill-in, and I got a call uh, one afternoon uh, from Terry who was the program director and he said uh, Jim Pryor is not going to be able to work his shift tonight can you come in and fill in for him and I said sure so uh, it was Friday night uh, October 29th uh, and uh, I got there a little early I got there probably about six o'clock and I walked in and shortly after I got there uh, we got a call that uh, Dwayne Allman had been in a motorcycle accident and um, and uh, he'd been taken to the hospital. Uh, we made that announcement on the air. Terry did. And then uh, Terry went off the air at 8, and I went on for Jim. And I got a call. It uh, was probably around 8.30 or so. I can't remember exactly. It's been a long time. Uh, from our news director, uh, who uh, at, at the time was um, Bill Raley. And uh, Bill said... Uh, I'm over here at uh, the medical center, and I just uh, found out that uh, Dwayne has passed away. And uh, I said, he said, I need to go on the air. I said, okay, absolutely. So uh, I introduced Bill, and uh, he went on the air with the story. And uh, uh, of course, uh, while he was on the air talking, I immediately uh, uh, found uh, "Midnight Rider" by the Almond Brothers and, and played that uh, after Bill finished his story. And then, of course, repeated uh, the story myself later on throughout the evening uh, and uh, had a lot of phone calls on it. And then you came on right after that, mm-hmm. and that's when um, I, I, when you, uh, you know, fielded a lot of phone calls and got the call from WLS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: That's the biggest station I've ever been on. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> biggest station most people would have been on. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a sad night. But uh WNEX was the station that uh that uh, broke that news story uh about Dwayne's death and um you know, unfortunately, but uh it was uh you know, we were we were on top of things at that time. We had uh, a great news department and uh nothing got past us really.
3: Yeah. I just wanna say I appreciate Capricorn Records being in town. Uh, For the most part, for the whole time I was in NEX, because we got the first play of Allman Brothers and Wet Willie and Elvin Bishop and all those songs that were really big on Capricorn, and they were great. Dick Willie and Frank Finner and all those people were fantastic down there. They really were.
2: Absolutely. Those those were some good times. WNEX was a radio station that... uh, that uh, loved Macon, and, and Macon loved the radio station as well. I remember all of the remotes and, and uh, how people would come see us, and uh, it was, you know, really a, a popular station. Uh, I just can't, uh, can't imagine, you know, how we managed to uh, to play all those great songs first, and, uh, you know, Capricorn was good to us. Yeah, an excellent music record is what it was. <laughs> I think so.
3: I see a lot of people out there that ought to be up here. Kenny Burgamy, he worked at... Uh, yeah, Kenny, at, come on up. Uh, yeah. Long NEX, long and Joe Hall back there, he was nights nice. and... Um, Ron, uh, Ron Wildman. Pete Camp,
1: our news guy, news guru. A lot of people don't know this, but Ron Wildman was the morning man at NEX for a
2: couple years. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Oscar Leverett,
3: I used to listen to him when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: unfortunately my board operated asleep. Here you go. Thanks. Uh unfortunately I think I'm the oldest one here that was working at NEX from nineteen sixty two on, but uh saw a lot of history. Uh I see Pam Lowe is out in the audience. Pam was the daughter of uh, Mr. Alfred Lowe senior. There are a couple of uh, Almond Brothers stories that occurred. One, uh Greg was, I don't know what I was doing downtown at like one o'clock in the morning. I probably was at another radio station getting off from work. And Greg was walking down the middle of Cotton Avenue. And I said, Greg, you okay? Oscar, I am fine. He was headed down to uh, Capricorn, Bobby. (laughs) Middle of the street, one o'clock in the morning. I guess it was one afternoon, and this was probably before Terry came in to relieve me. Um, Van rolled up out front Knock on the door And it was Bobby maybe you can help me Somebody from Capricorn Brought what they called A test pressing LP Didn't have a label It was uh, Like a 33 and a third RPM And they said Would you play this on the air So we can go back in the van Listen to it And see if the mix is right For AM radio I said sure You can't do that today
5: and did they, did they remix it after yes, what they heard? Yes,
4: they, they went back to the studio, <laughs> I guess down on Broadway, and I was fortunate enough to get invited for a couple of sessions down there. It's a lot of fun, but uh, they went back down on Broadway, Ben, and, and remixed it uh, near the old Pepsi-Cola bottling company.
0: Let, let me ask everybody something, and, and you just brought up a, a great question, is that I heard multiple stories of there being a Dwayne Allman interaction somewhere after they had been recording all night at Capricorn, and bringing by real tapes to have somebody played. Is that that folklore, or did that ever happen? Not to me. I don't don't remember
3: a tape being brought by, no. Uh, They bring acetates, which was uh, what, uh, before the song was released, it only had a limited number of plays on it, and you could get it
0: on the air before the song came out. A disc jockey telling a story? I'm shocked.
2: (laughs) Uh,
0: And by the way, most of the people that are
4: not here are they're in the in the golden turntable in the air somewhere, so we
5: can we can lie all we want to.
6: <laughs>
5: I I think I'd heard the story that that keep on smiling by Wet Willie happened that way though. They brought brought by an acetate or or think, maybe a reel to reel. Said we're prob- thinking of releasing yeah, this. Probably an acetate. Tape. Yeah, Thank yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was not even a single yet and. And you, they, they well, had you play it to see if your listeners liked it. Or.
3: Dick Woolley was right on top of everything. I mean, he—he, God, when he was right there, right down there with everything we, we needed.
5: I had another story. I'm I'm Ben Sandifer, and I worked there from seventy-two to seventy-four, and then again from seventy-five to seventy-seven, and working there. Two different times may sound unusual, but there were people that worked there three or four different times, I think, you know? <laughs> so I, I didn't have the record or anything by any means. But I, I worked morning drive, 6 to 10, and then my weekend shift for some reason was Friday from midnight till 6 a.m., which was kind of strange. You'd get up 4.30 or 5 o'clock, five days a week, and then one night you had to stay up all night, and by about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was always beat. and. Right about that time, I guess it was 72, when the Allman Brothers' Eat a Peach album came out. And Mountain Jam took up two sides of that album. And uh, Terry, you must not have listened then, because you probably would have called and said, hey, don't do that anymore. (laughs) But uh, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was beat, so I would put on that album and play it and usually take a nap. Uh, let the whole thing play because the, the two sides together were probably thirty minutes or so. Thank, and, God, uh, thank
3: God you woke up.
5: Yeah, <laughs> but it got to where people would. I, I did it a couple of Fridays in a row, and it got to where people would call in and request that. Hey, you gonna play Mountain Jam again this week? And uh, so it kind of became a a regular thing. But it was it was way outside the format of a of a top forty radio <laughs> station. But then. We didn't have rock stations then, especially in the early days of Capricorn. FM was, was not what it is uh, today, and, and, and we were it. We were the closest thing there would have been to a rock station.
3: Well, when I first started, there was a guy named F.C. Franklin that worked nights,
0: and he used to do that a lot. He used to just put on the albums, and I'm at night. Bobby, I have a question for you. At what point, when you were with Capricorn, because you were always... Bringing new material, and there were all these things coming out. Was there ever a time when you said to yourself, "This is working"? I mean, this this is going beyond our expectations.
1: Well, I, you know, you kind of
3: sensed that something big was happening. But I, yeah, I guess I did. But I can't remember when it was. I guess when the when they finished that album at Fillmore
0: that was the turning point you said we, we've got it was a turning point
3: yeah and then I think everybody realized it at that point
0: i missed Mr. Junior Senior Dance because of the Fillmore East album <laughs> I had a bunch of friends and I had a promotion copy that I brought home from NEX and we never left the, the house you know we just stayed and listened to the whole thing all the way through that's incredible it's still it's still wonderful to listen to today Amazing. anybody have any comments or questions they'd like to make because I'm right. yep yes sir
3: while y'all were having fun down here, I was up at uh, Georgia State University in Atlanta at RAS playing all the Capricorn stuff. And uh, what was it like for y'all to realize you were at the epicenter of this? Where Did you have a sense that this was this was way, way bigger than just Georgia? It was reaching out and touching the souls of kids everywhere? It was fantastic. Uh, we, we got first crack at everything that came out of that place. And I really appreciated it, you know. Um, We got gold records for "Fool Around and Fell in Love, Keep on Smiling. And I think we got another one. I can't remember which one. Did you get one for Ramblin' Man? No, I don't think we did not get one for that one. Um, And uh, Frank Fenner, Dick Willie, Jeannie, who worked in the front office, they were all great people. Uh, I was hoping Dick Willie could be here today, and
5: he couldn't make it. So uh, uh, we're glad that you came, though. And I'll echo what? bill said terry was the guy with i don't even know if if back then you would call it vision but he he was smart enough to recognize this was something local going on and we we might want to be a part of this so he he was the one that put all these great records in there for us to play and uh, now
3: you, you, you know. like that uh thank you you like that one song love is bigger than baseball that was a good love,
5: one. yeah I mean, we played stuff that never was yeah. hits anywhere. Yeah. That, that, was by, that was by Jackie Avery. Uh, and and, and we, we wore that song out in Macon. It was a, a I guess you'd call it a soul record, a rhythm and blues more so. It certainly wasn't southern rock. It was like maybe 1970. And uh, yeah, we, we wore that thing out. And, and Jackie, Jackie ended up marrying Ella, who was one of the Willie, Willieettes. Yeah, yeah, he's still around. Yeah, and we play. Of course, one of the first, one of the earliest hits they had was "Sunshine" by Jonathan Edwards. A lot uh-huh. of people don't remember that right. was on mm-hmm. on Capricorn, but that was one of their yeah.
2: first hits. And
0: I have it on my business card. I'm one of the male Willie
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got yeah, Dave King Kong Kelly over here. He did middays Yay. at WNEX for a long time. Thank you, Bill.
6: Thank you, thank you. Uh, I just said, you know, uh, Bill's got an easy job. Just give a bunch of disc jockeys the microphone, and they'll talk for a half hour. And you guys have done great so far. But uh, I was after the Allman Brothers thing, and uh, with all the gold records you guys. We were just talking. Derry, how many gold records did you have? Uh,
3: well, uh, or do you?
6: How I many do you have in your possession right now? Probably? Well... Uh,
3: I have got the Fool Around. I brought Fool Around and in Love with me. They're at yeah. the pawn shop. David. Yeah, he sold them all. <laughs> oh, they
4: also had the okay. yeah. yeah,
3: I thought they were real gold. I didn't know. And I could, you, not?
6: could you play those songs? Have you played those right No, ones?
3: no, they were just paper, really, sprayed paper. But they look good, you know. Yeah, they
6: look really good. So.
3: We got Keep on Smiling, Fool Around, feeling in Love. And there's another one I can't remember. Uh, but uh,
6: Yeah, the first time I walked into the exit to the back, and I saw those on the wall, and went, "This is pretty good. I'm, I'm impressed." Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like to hear that. I don't know how <laughs> it was in, in rock and roll. I know in country music, uh, all of the gold records were Slim Whitman records or something that some guy had <laughs> pressed up and had a huge warehouse of them. And for some reason, the vinyl they used, the gold paint would adhere to it better. And so I was told that any any gold record that's a country music thing, you take it down and play it, it'd be Slim Whitman, uh, because uh, <laughs> they were trying to use up this inventory of his oh, records. darn,
6: man, I've got all the Slim Whitman songs.
1: Well, there you go. Aaron, tell, tell the
5: gold records. Tell the, I think it was you that told the story about Capricorn signing Kitty Wells. You may oh. have been at D.E.N. <laughs> then.
1: Yeah, Capricorn decided they were going to get into country music, and, and they didn't know anything about country music, you know, because they just didn't. And so they sent their A&R people out to find them a country artist. Well, they came up with Kitty Wells, who, whose star had already risen and descended, and, but they didn't know who she was, but, but they knew she was a big country star at one time. So she puts out this record called, Does Anybody Out There Want to Be a Daddy?, and it was a country song. I mean, it was country. And so they printed it up on the Capricorn label. They didn't bother to tell anybody. It was country music. This is the story I got. And they carried all these records down to the mail and Said, here, send this out to stations. So they sent them to all the rock stations in town. And I had this image in mind of, you know, this rock jock out in Fresno getting this thing, oh, wow, look, Allman Brothers have got a new band called Kitty Wells, this must be great, and putting it on. And, of course, it was not to his liking uh, at that way. But anyway, that's the story I got.
5: Um, I see Pete Camp yeah, out well, there. and He's the
6: man on the street, I was going to yeah. ask him. Now, what, and, who, and your name again is? Pete
7: Conan Here's mic. thank you. Thank you. Half I'll I'll give it five minutes. I've got three little quick stories. First, let me just tell you a little bit of, for those of you who don't know, I was at NEX from 1977 until 1982. Um, And I worked with Dennis Hayes, who was the news director, and a young man from Mercer who worked part-time by the name of Tim Jones. And of that group, I'm the only one still living, so I must have done something right. (laughs) Uh, One of the greatest experiences of my life involving the Allman Brothers, and Bill will remember this, was the Capricorn Picnic and Summer Games at Lakeside. Uh, it, I was 25, 26 years old, two different summers, and it was fantastic. Being able to walk up to Martin Mall and chat, being able to walk up to Greg and chat. Dennis tried desperately to get an interview with Greg, and Greg kept refusing him, because these people were there to relax. They were having fun. They didn't want to be bothered. But we, being news guys, we were bothering them. Um, I went up to Martin, Molly had a mouthful of food and I said, we really need to talk to you. He said, i finished finish my lunch, you know. <laughs> so, um, that, what Bill reminded me about though, was the greatest thing there was a beer truck with the taps on the sides. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen one since. <laughs> they, they did learn their lesson. And the other, the other almond story was with, not as funny was the Scooter Herring uh, trial. He was sentenced to 75 years in prison. I think he did 18 months. Uh, it, that was so intense. Dennis and I w- were living at the courthouse with Will Owens, the judge, for seemingly forever. Uh, there was a talk about Dixie Mafia being involved and threatening Greg. and. It was just a nasty time uh, to get in and out of there with the media circus that was going on. There was national media from all over. It was very difficult. Uh, and that was probably one of the least pleasant times that I had covering the Almond Brothers.
5: Uh, Pete, you're, t- you're talking about the Capricorn picnics. I remember it was, I guess it was the one in uh, the summer of it would have been 76 when Jimmy Carter was running for president. He and Phil Walden were, were close friends, and, uh, and Carter came to that picnic. And, of course, they had to have Secret Service all over the woods, and, and you could pick those guys out. Everybody was there in tank tops and shorts and cutoffs, and the Secret Service guys had on the three-piece suits and the things in their ears and talking into the deviled eggs and things like that. And that was uh, that was quite an adventure. You all remember that one?
3: <laughs> well... Uh, Frank Fenner used to have a restaurant down in the uh, alley downtown, and he called me and told me, you got to come down tonight because Greg Allman, I think he said uh, he just proposed to share, and they, he's going to be down here in the uh, restaurant with her tonight. And I can't tell you anything after that because uh, <laughs> whew, they were both pretty talk-tanked up, and uh, they were, wow. Uh, uh, I thought Cher was a sailor who just came in off of uh the ship there she was really really uh, uh
5: voquacious
3: yeah that 's the word we
5: uh
2: had a every now and then we had a need for a a female voice on a commercial at uh, at w n e x And uh, I don't know how she was found, but it was Candy Oakley was very frequently a uh, female voice for uh, that's Barry's sister. For those of you who don't know, Uh, Candy was very frequently a uh, female voice on commercials uh, on the radio station.
0: Nathan Hale is with us over here thank you thank you very much
8: <laughs> appreciate it i was just a starry-eyed kid from fort valley i started at eleven fifty wfpm and back in those days this would have been uh i started radio in 73 so we did our share of playing the allman brothers and things like that but i always wanted the opportunity to work at wnex and i was working at wpga at the time and a kid i think um had sent uh, terry a tape of mine or whatever and he called me up one time and that was the thrill of my life to be able to work there mostly just nights and overnights and weekends and so it was a big thrill that was the greatest station ever for me i had uh, great jingles and just an opportunity to work there uh, meant the world to me. And I was telling Terry early when I first met him, I thought he had the biggest hands of any man I'd ever seen because I was only about 17. And just the chance to be able to work there, and that's where I met Oscar. And so I just wanted to come and hang out with everybody today and just say hello and just see some of my old friends from uh, the good old days in radio. And as far as the Allman Brothers, we actually went on. I went to work at WRBN and one Robbins, and that would have been in the late 70s and the early 80s. And then uh, in late 80s, we went to a station called Z106 in Fort Valley, and then we got 50,000 watts and started up Q106, which is now 106.3, in 1988. And so I was the program director and operations manager there till 95. Uh, so we did our share of playing plenty of Allman Brothers. And we actually got a chance to uh, meet Greg Allman because uh, a guy named Bill Luckadoo actually put the money up to have a big concert in Macon and tied it in with Q106. We had been on the air four years. So it was really a good deal for us to get up there. And we claimed four years of rock and roll and four years with the Allman Brothers and got the key to the city and got up on stage and was able to present that to Greg Allman and the band. So that was my big thing of actually being able to get close to them. So it was just a pleasure to work at WNEX. And uh, thanks for asking me to be here and work with some of the greatest disc jockeys ever and the greatest station ever. I got Jack Bowers right here. You got
0: some stories to tell, my
8: friend?
9: Nothing I'd like to repeat.
8: I, I always wanted
9: to talk like Terry Taylor, but I never could get that low. <laughs> but uh, I worked midnights in '78, and I had to look that up because the only thing I really remember of those days was uh, Leonard Skinner's plane crash. Was that while I was uh, while I was on the air, and I played a lot of their music that night. I was midnight also, so I never really saw anybody that's here. But uh, I had friend, plenty of friends that would come by after midnight after they'd been out on the town and uh it was hard keeping them quiet in the control room and that was my biggest concern i'd be i'll be quiet i'll be quiet and i'd be here's a hit from uh, you know sam and dave and we'd be playing that and the the capricorn records albums what i do remember is i they'd get a lot of records in this in the studio and uh, a lot of them would end up going out the back door one way or the other, either to the trash, or they'd let us pick through them. And uh, there were never any Capricorn records in there to pick. So that was uh, sad, but there was a lot of good stuff in there that didn't get, didn't get on, but nobody ever heard of them.
10: Anyway, I started at, at NEX in 1966, before probably some of y'all wasn't even born. And, um, and I left in 81. And after I left NEX and had several other jobs in there, I ended up with Stuckey Management and Dr. Greg Jones in the old Capricorn building down on Broadway. Ben came by there one day and I was keeping books in. But they bought that building and cleaned it up and there was so much stuff in there about the Almond Brothers and Capricorn and all that. And he. He got it all and framed it and had it all on the wall, but I don't know what's happened to it since then. I, th- I was not there. I long. think
5: I remember you showing me. It Seems like it was a conference room that was uh-huh. just the walls were just lined, lined. with gold records and yeah.
10: stuff. Yeah, and that was back in uh, the early '80s. Yeah. What,
2: what was the most unusual Capricorn thing that y'all came about playing? Do you think? Good question. I remember. Terry giving me an album. Uh, it was the first Capricorn record I ever saw, and it was the album uh, Martin Mull called Dueling Tubas. <laughs> and why Phil Walden ever signed him and, and put that album out, I have no idea. But that I still actually have that album in an old collection of mine, Dueling Tubas by Martin Mull on Capricorn.
3: We didn't play everything they put out because some of the stuff was, you know, like... Q106 material, like, like you know, kind of heavy. But uh, if it if it had a uh, top 40 sound, I still, even though it was overplayed, uh, a lot of people think it was, I still like Ramblin' Man. I love to hear that song on the radio. Yeah.
5: yeah. I, I remember we played uh, Eric Quincy Tate, Brown sure. Sugar. Yeah, that was a good we, one. We, we wore that a, song out. That was And, a and I don't think that was a hit at all uh, no. outside of Macon, Georgia. No. You know, we, we couldn't figure out for a while whether Eric Quincy Tate was a person or a band. It, it turns out it was the name of the band, right?
3: Didn't they have White Witch or something? White Witch yes. and yeah.
5: I'm Leaving. That was yeah. a good song. Yeah. yeah. yeah that yeah, was
0: we, a person. We, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I remember early on I said I it was a student at Mercer while I was at WNEX. And I also was, I was in a fraternity at Mercer, and uh, we hired a band in... I think it was early 1972. I hired a band that was recommended to me. I'd never heard of them before, and and they came and played for one of our dances for 150 dollars. Uh, and uh, and about uh, less than six months later, they had an, a record come out uh, called "Keep On Smiling." It was the Wet Willie Band. Yeah, 150 dollars. They uh, you could never get them for that after after the record came out.
5: That was a monster song. That was. You know, one of the nicest things about Ramblin' Man, and I, I think Terry was probably responsible for this. In in the In the days, in the Tom Healy and Ted Clark days, the station was kind of loosely programmed, and they even had a stack of instrumental records that you'd never heard of that they used to play going into the news so that you'd hear some unknown instrumental and you'd automatically knew, know the news was coming on. Well, I think Terry got rid of those First thing, and we had to back time into the network news. And Rambling Man was always good for that because it had about a
10: two
5: and a half minute guitar solo on the end, so you could fade it anywhere there.
4: Sid Ingram's favorite was Whipping Post. Oh yeah. yeah. Every Saturday morning, I'd come in at six, and Whipping Post would yeah. be on, and you had what nine minutes left.
0: Terry, how did you decide which Capricorn songs to play? Did, you, uh, did, did Capricorn send you everything and you had to choose which would go in the playlist? Or Dick, how did, Dick how did Willie you did
3: a lot of that for me. He already had the ones kind of like, okay, this is the side we're pushing and uh, uh, we, we think that this is going to be the big one. So that was it. I, I worked right with him and he was right there all the
2: time. He was really, really on top of everything.
3: Frank Fenner was the same way.
2: I don't know how many people might remember a a nightclub uh, downtown, Macon. It was called the Yellow Bandana. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, remember one night uh, Terry and I were there, and uh, we were there was a good band. (laughs) I do remember. Yeah. Well, it was early (laughs) enough, you know. At that point, I remember. I don't remember You don't remember? (laughs) Well, you and I were standing at the bar and listening to the band, and all of a sudden we looked over, and in came Greg Allman. And uh, Greg came in, and he, I didn't know him. I'd never met him before, but Terry had, and so Terry shook hands with him and introduced me to him, and uh, he stood there and had a drink, and uh, all of a sudden, um, one of the guys in the band came over to him and said, "Would you mind coming up and playing with us?" And uh, he said, "No." So he got up and jammed with the band for about uh, 30 or 40 minutes, I guess, and, uh, and uh, everybody in the place, you know got a show that they definitely were not expecting. That was for sure.
3: Yeah, most of those guys hung out down at Grant's Lounge down on Papa yeah. Street. That's what, That was a big yeah. hangout.
2: Oh, yeah, and Grant's was incredible. Yeah.
3: Anyway, after Capricorn got through the Southern Rock era, they started uh, trying to bring back uh, a lot of artists like Percy Sledge and W. Gray and all. And uh, they didn't really have any big hits all on that label. Percy Sledge had a song I liked, but... Uh, uh, it was okay, it did, it did okay, W. Gray never had another uh,
5: Drift Away, but he had a couple of songs on there. Did we, uh, this would have been, yes, guess, 76, 77, did we ever play Stillwater? On oh, yeah. Any, mind uh, Mindbender, yeah, because yeah. Yeah. That, that was, I always thought they were, they were probably, talent-wise, one of the best Capricorn bands, but they were just kind of at the end of that southern rock and when Capricorn started having the financial problems and stuff. Yeah, so well, what's his name
2: that worked up on uh, Mulberry Street, uh, the guy, that the sales guy? he played Mike
3: Causey. Yeah, he
2: played with them, yeah. Yeah. You know, that, uh, the time that we've all been talking about in Capricorn being in its heyday and everything, that was also the time when, uh, when Ronnie Thompson was the mayor and we had an armored personnel carrier here in Macon and, uh, yeah, yeah, all those kind of crazy things going on. Yeah,
5: yeah I mean, folks like Joe Ferry and I guess uh, Jim Lee was probably still at BML then and Jess oh, yeah. Branson, I mean, they, yeah. they, they never lacked for, for good stuff to cover in news.
2: No doubt about it.
0: Uh, Terry's being interviewed down there, but we, we want to thank all of you for being here today. This this is a you uh, have made our thank you so much for enduring this, and we appreciate all of your support and, and especially with the big house being here again. Don't forget to uh, if you if you're not a member, try to try to join. And it's a good uh, it's been a great afternoon, it really has. Thank you everybody.